Thank you, Pastor Abby. Welcome. Um, if you're brand new, my name is Dave. I'm the pastor of K First, and I am just stoked that you're here for the start of a brand new series. Um, I do need disclaimers, and, and you're like, okay, put your seatbelt on. If there's ever disclaimer about a series, normally I preach on sex, I have to give disclaimers because um, I'm about to say things that are going to make you have talks with your children. Um, that's always fun. But um, this morning, we are, this is a foundational message. And uh, there are so many slides today that I actually bought the tech team donuts to say I'm sorry. So they have got a lot to keep up with there. You're not going to be able to write down every single scripture that is going to be up there. But on the YouVersion notes, it's a free app. Um, our notes are on there. Every scripture that we give today is on that app. And it's possible because there are 60 slides. Yes, 60 slides. Gird yourself. Um, that I may have missed one, and I apologize in advance. You're like, you lied, Pastor Dave. Um, so I apologize. It's, we're starting a series called um, Three-ish. Uh, we're doing a series on the Trinity. And uh, I, I called a ton of my pastor friends over the past three months or so, um, just trying to see, okay, how do you set up a series for the Trinity? And I found out that of, honestly, a few hundred pastors that I know, um, none of them have preached a series on the Trinity, and none of them have preached an entire message on the Trinity. So guess what we're doing? Uh, we're going to do some groundbreaking things of diving into the Trinity. In fact, I've had some commentators say, uh, you should not preach any message on the Trinity or a series because it should never be the subject of an entire message because there's nothing practical about the Trinity. And I'm like, oh, contraire, dude. Um, you, just got, you just got blocked on, on social media. So um, we're going to dive in a bit. But before I do, I rarely remember this stuff. It is the Wings 29th wedding anniversary. Can you give it up for the Wings? over here. Told them to take Jody out and not just get her like Big Mac supersize it. It's a wedding anniversary, so hallelujah. Um, the youth group isn't all here, so I wanted to show them something. They, they may not know what it is because most of us in the room, I think, know what this is. I, I love music. Love music. I'm an eclectic. In fact, uh, about a week and a half ago or so, um, I, we had, I had uh, this young man who came into my office, uh, little Nathan. Nathan is how old? Nathan's six. And Nathan walks in my office and he looks at my record player. He goes, is that a record player? I'm like, that's a parent that has done well with their child. And so, so I said, you want me to play it? He says, yeah. So I put on that great Christian album, Abbey Road by the Beatles. And we just... <laughs> Sat back and we, we jammed. And after the one side ended, he goes, uh, the noise stopped. I'm like, all right, noise. It's the Beatles, dude. <laughs> Goodness. So I flipped it over and we just, we sat on our iPads, talked and listened to the Beatles. Uh, but there's something that people just don't know about nowadays. And they don't know the trouble that we went through with these things when it comes to our music. And so I went to uh, Goodwill because I had to pick one up. Of all the ones I picked, Amy Grant, for Pete's sake. Amy, any Amy Grant fans in here? I'm sorry. All right. Just kidding. Not really. All right. Anyways, um, what most students nowadays, they do not, do not, do not understand the painful experience. How many of you, all of a sudden when you're, you're jamming or whatever, and all of a sudden you hear, bloop, 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 and you know something's happened. 
Y'all know what this is like, and you're driving. See, we're worried about texting and driving, but back in the day, you had to deal with this while you were driving. Again, if you've never seen a tape before, this is what's called your tape is getting eaten up. And so what you had to do is you had to find a pencil or a pen. Like today, all right, I'll be honest. I tried finding a pencil today and none of them fit inside of it because for some reason the pencil companies don't think that we need them anymore. So I had to find and uh, get a pen so that I could just stick it in there and start rolling this sucker up. Man, I have the skills that last a lifetime. And for anybody that actually wants this tape afterwards, it only cost me 25 cents. It is all yours. Look at that, man. I still got the skills. God bless the 80s. Uh, but there's nothing worse than having it tangled. Um, oh, my word. My dad had a Mercury Lynx at that he had a tape stuck in. And the only tape he had stuck in, the tape they had stuck in there was Siegfried's Funeral March. only thing stuck in the radio for Mercury Lynx. It's really ironic if you think about it. Um, why does this even matter? Because I feel that what, that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks, including today. We're going to untangle the Trinity. We're just going to untangle it a bit and hopefully make it a little bit more understandable. Um, because there is a, I'll just say this, a church within the vicinity of our church within 20 miles. Let's just do that that thinks that we're a cult because we believe in the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I do not think that they're a cult. I think they're just missing out completely um, on, on the Trinity and what the Trinity truly means. But we're going to talk about the Trinity. We're going to attempt to just kind of stick a pencil in it, so to speak, and just start winding it back together so we can have a greater understanding of the Trinity. If you need a title for today, if you like titles, just write down the words, stick a pencil in it. <laughs> we're just going to wind it up and see where it takes us. And so we're just diving into the scriptures today. I have got a ton of it, but just know this. Um, we're not gonna get cocky about the Trinity. We approach any doctrine with humility. Let me say that again. We approach any doctrine with humility. We are a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've, I've known Pentecostals and Charismatics to get very cocky about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they look at other people like, we have the Spirit. Yes, we do. We have the Spirit. How about you? And I'm like, okay, you're a dork. <laughs> and we, we can get cocky about our doctrine, but can we just exercise humility in the house and just be humble about this beautiful thing called the Trinity so that we can... Maybe capture something about God that we just maybe never understood before. So when we're talking about the Trinity, we, what does that mean? What that means is this, is God is triune. That word triune is a compound word. The word tri means uh, three or like tripod or tricycle or other try stuff, okay? I've run out of try words. Um, and then you've got the uni, the, the un, where we, we get the word one. So we have, it literally means triune, three and one, one and three. One plus one plus one equals one in the trinities. Yeah, messed with some of you guys right there. Um, and, and many people struggle with that because they think through mathematical equations like one plus one plus one has to equal three or look at three things. So it's got to be just three things. It can never be one thing. Um, there's so much mystery to the Trinity, but yet so much depth that I want us to understand. So when it comes to the doctrine of the Trinity, it is simply this. 
one God existing eternally in three distinct persons, and all three are equally and simultaneously God. Let's say that again. It is one God existing eternally in three distinct persons, and all three are equally and simultaneously God. That's why the series is called Three-ish. Is God three or is God one? Yes. What does that mean? I'm glad you've shown up for the next four weeks because we are going to do our best to describe this. And I've had people say, well, um, is it salvific? Do you have to believe in the, in the doctrine of the Trinity to be saved? Augustine would say so. Augustine says that you will lose your salvation if you don't believe in the Trinity, but if you lose your mind, you will lose your mind if you try to understand the Trinity. I'm like, dang, Augustine, you don't know what you're saying there. Uh, but the reality is that you can't believe it. You, you don't... Maybe you don't have to believe it. I don't understand how you can't believe it when we look at the scriptures that I'm about to give you today because it helps you understand the vastness and the beauty of God. Because when we look at the Trinity, let's break up our statement here. Let's break up the doctrine so that we can understand it a little bit. So first and foremost, there is one God. One and one only. We are not a universalist church that believes all the gods are basically versions of one God. Um, it's, it's not true. We believe that there is one big G God. And that's what we see from Revelation all the way through, excuse me, Genesis through Revelation. In fact, Deuteronomy 6.4, we read it every baby dedication says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Um, we've got Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10 says, says, I don't have it in my notes. It says, you are my witnesses, declare the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. There is just one God. 1 Corinthians 8, 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that the idol is of no real existence and that there is no God but one, I, I, Ephesians 4, 6, one God and father of all. Romans three thirty. since God is one who justified the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. First Timothy 1, 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, visible, the only God, the only God, the only God be the honor and glory forever and ever. John 5, 44, how can you believe when you receive, receive glory from one another and do not seek glory that comes from the only God? You're like, well, I, I, that's what we're supposed to believe. This is a concept of one God that even the demons believe. Scripture says in James 2, 19, you believe there is, that God is one, you would do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder at the belief that there's just one God. There's just one God and God is one. In the amazing book of Jude, so underestimated, it says in verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Scripture, if you are a scripture person, then the scripture would have you believe not that there are multiple gods, but there is just one God. Just one. So we have there's just one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons. So let's break that apart. That that God, the one God, exists eternally in three distinct persons. Now, what gets us into trouble is the word persons because it's such a poor word because when I think of persons, I think of me and you. I would hopefully you think I'm, I'm a person, you're a person, we're all humans, but the word persons is such a confusing word. And the reason why humanity kind of came up with the wording of that doctrine and they used the word person is because they didn't have a better word. 
Any commentator I've read, and they're, they're trying to get a word besides persons, but in our human intellect and in our English language, we just don't have a better word besides persons. So if we, maybe if it helps, there are really three distinctions of God himself, of the Godhead. Three that think, they hear, they exist, they interact, and they speak. I love what one commentator wrote. He says this, there are three who's, but only one what? There are three who's, but one what? There is unity and plurality at the same time. And when we get to the New Testament, honestly, it becomes a little bit more point blank. It's easier to understand because we see the Trinity kind of really spelled out for us in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, we get things hinted. But that happens a lot in Scripture, that things get hinted and that we end up understanding later. Uh, there are things that are general revelation and then there's special revelation. And the, the Trinity is what I would call special revelation. It developed and it grew to the point that we didn't even have the word Trinity until 200 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. This may shock you that the word Trinity is not in scripture. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Do you know what else is not in the Bible? No other word is not in the Bible? Bible. I only believe things that are in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> the word Bible is not there. The word Trinity is not there. The word rapture isn't there. The word the word incarnation isn't there. Incarnation, we celebrate that every Christmas, that the incarnation, uh, God coming in flesh, the, the Christ child. But we know they exist because they're described, but the words didn't get formed and developed in doctrine until a few hundred years. You're like, why did it take the Christians so long to come up with these words? I don't know. Maybe if you spent the first part of Christianity running from your life and not being thrown to lions and things like that, Maybe, you know, you could settle down and get the words out that we celebrate today. But in the first couple hundred years, they weren't worried about getting the doctrine all settled. They were worried about preserving their lives and preaching the gospel. And when things settled down a bit and people stopped hunting them and burning them um, so much, um, they began to settle and they began to get the doctrine together to make sure that we understood, that, that the church understood that which we trust in and that who we serve. And so when we think about the Trinity, we know the Trinity is spoken of in the Old Testament and it's more realized and more evident in the New Testament. And we begin to see that throughout. I love looking at the Trinity from old and new because you can find the Trinity actually in both if you do look hard enough. I love what one person says. The Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament concealed, or is in the Old Testament concealed. That there's concealed things in the old that come to fruition in the new. And that which comes in the new kind of is hiding in the old. So the doctrine of the Trinity, when we look in the Old Testament, it's in what I would call bud or seed form. And so I'm going to show you some of that. It goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, very, very first page of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was form, without form and void, and darkness was covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Even in the first verse of the Bible, we get two of the three in the Trinity. 
right there. And immediately we see the Trinity is already at work. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, which I think might be missing from our slide. Genesis 1, 26, it says that, let us make man in our image. We see actually Trinitarian conversation. God is not talking to the angels because the book of Hebrews tells us the angels played no part in your creation. I know some of you think that an angel created your wife. That's romantic. That's cool. But just call your husband a heretic because it's not real. That's all good. Don't have that as your Valentine card in a couple weeks. But I'll say that the Trinity said, we have this conversation, let us make man in our image. This is part of the Trinity at work. In fact, when man partakes of sin and they have the knowledge of good and evil, we see in Genesis chapter 32, it says man has become like what? Us. Man's become like one of us. Unity, plurality. We see this idea of there's an us and the scriptures in the book of Genesis. I don't know if you've heard the story of the Tower of Babel where these men wanted to build this tower that reached up to the heavens. And we have God speaking and God says, let us go down and confuse them. Let us go down. Again, book of Genesis, it is the first book of the Bible, and immediately we have what we would call Trinitarian language, that there is a plurality and unity, the Godhead together speaking and having conversation and communicating with one another. I love the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, we've got this image of God. The prophet Isaiah, through the power of God, the presence of God, he sees God high and lifted up, and it says, the king that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon on the throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. He had two with the face covered, two with covered his feet, and with two they flew. And one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And quite often, I have taught you this. When you see something repeated three times in scripture, it's there, it's a literary tool to help with emphasis. But as I read this and I thought about the Trinity, I began to wonder, is holy, holy, holy trying to emphasize the holiness of God or were there three holies because they were recognizing the Trinity right there within the temple? Things that I had never thought about. Verse eight, God is interacting and he says, whom shall I send and who will go for what? Us. Who will go for us? There is plurality language. The earliest idea of the Trinity, commentators will say, comes from actually Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, we have the interaction of God and Abraham. He says, the Lord appeared to him. Who appeared? The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of, of Mamre. And he sat by the door of his tent on the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and behold, how many? Three men were standing in front of him. Look at that. The Lord appeared and when he lifted up his eyes, how many did he see? Three, this is what we would call in scripture a theophany. It is a physical representation in the Old Testament of God himself. We see theophanies in different places. What about the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace? A theophany because one, there was a fourth one and he looked like what? The son of God. This is Trinity at work. Um, we see God speaking in uh, the Garden of Eden. He looked at the serpent who was the devil and he says the offspring of woman. He starts speaking about the offspring of woman that would come one day and actually not just bruise but crush his head. God is speaking of his son in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter six, uh, God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the prophet, the virgin will con be conceived and the child shall be called wonderful counselor. The child will also be called what? 
mighty God. Isaiah 61.1, in the Old Testament, we've got this great scripture that says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening up the prison to those who are bound. Now it says, the spirit, third member, of the Lord, first member, is upon me. Who is the me? We don't see who the me is until hundreds of years later when Jesus stands up in one of his first public statements. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this in Luke chapter 4. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Right there, we see the old concealing the new and the new revealing the old, showing us the Trinity. Do we not see the Trinity at work right here? It's beautiful. It's wonderful. We have the buds of the doctrine in the Old Testament. And that leads us to the New Testament because that's where the buds, the seeds, grow into the flower that we see of the Trinity. Where do we start seeing that? Luke chapter 1. Gabriel shows up to a teenager and says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you and the Holy One will be born and he will become the Son of God. Even in his announcement to Mary that says, everything that you had planned for your life is about to take a turn. And in his word about God, he gives all three members of the Trinity. At Jesus' baptism, it's my favorite representation of the Trinity because in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, we actually have all three interacting at one time. Jesus is present, comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the voice of the Almighty says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Was Jesus talking to himself? Was he using a, a bird puppet like he was teaching a Sunday school class with a bird? Uh, was he a ventriloquist? We see the Trinity right there in front of us. In fact, John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father and he will send another, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Look at that. I am going to talk to the Father and he's going to send a helper the Holy Spirit, Jesus talking about the Trinity. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he gives them the great commission and he says, go and baptize people in the name of the Father and name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't designate just three separate, they are one. He's talking about unity. And it doesn't stop with the Gospels. I love this. It goes on into the epistles. Uh, we see Paul closes out 2 Corinthians 3.14 with the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He closes off the book to one of the messiest churches you've ever heard of. If you ever think that our church is ever a mess, read first and 2 Corinthians and you're going to be like, Pastor Dave's doing a great job. A messy church. And he closes it out. His salutation is recognizing the work of the Trinity. He writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 17. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory that he be grant you to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, but we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, loved by our Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit. Believe in the truth. He actually recognizes in the original language the Trinity themselves to that church. Peter 
speaks of it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And I actually wrote it down wrong on my notes. It's right up here. Praise Jesus. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood. Peter himself recognizes the Trinity. And we see them lumped together in multiple spots. And we see them spoken of as individuals. What what does our statement say? The Godhead is one God that exists exists eternally in three distinct persons and all three are equally and simultaneously God. The Father is God. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on this one, do we? The Father is God. Galatians chapter one, verse one will help us understand. It says the Father himself is God. Paul the apostle sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul immediately recognizes the Father. One of the most famous scriptures that you're going to see, in fact, I promise you, you're going to most likely see it tonight in the Super Bowl when Kansas City gets a touchdown. Not too many Kansas City fans in the house. Maybe if San Francisco gets a touchdown. There are no football fans in the house. What type of church have I grown? I have failed. For God so loved the world. When you look and you see the end zone, you see John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much he sent his son. God is not an old man. He is not Father Time. He is not Father Christmas. In fact, Jesus, when he describes the Father in John chapter 4, Jesus says God is spirit. He's spirit. I've had people say, hey, can you talk to the big man like up there? I'm like, are we talking about the board? Who are we talking about? <laughs> the, the big man. I, I, I just love having fun with it. Who is the big man? Just say it. Oh, can you talk to God? I'm like, oh, sure, but you can too. <laughs> it's not relegated. He only doesn't listen to Dave all the time. Look at the lions. He does not always listen to Dave. <laughs> Harbaugh's still the coach of Michigan. He doesn't listen to Dave. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to get off on tangents. But I think that we don't have to belabor the point itself that God is the Father. And I think that's important for us to understand. And I think that's an important point for us to rest upon just for a moment. Because for some of you, you have a hard time looking at God the Father because of a father that's been missing from your life. I've youth pastored hundreds of young people. And I, I, could, I could point at tons of them that struggle to view God as a father because, of a, because they could not view an actual father in their life. But he is a good and he's a faithful father that does not abandon, it does not leave. In fact, he loved you so much that he gave everything that he is to all that you are so that you can understand him. He's faithful. And so the father is God, but secondly, the son is God. The son is God. There are, now this is one that's a little bit touchier because there's some people that want to believe he's a prophet or he's like God, but we believe Jesus is God. There's a, there's, there are people in the house that have a lot to say about Jesus, but maybe struggle to confess that he is God. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what the Father is, look at the Son. I hear it quite often. Man, when I talk to Ethan, oh, he's just like you. Nice. Poor child. 
And honestly, the more that you hear about hear my dad or follow him on, on social media, you're like, you are just like your father. <laughs> but honestly, Jesus isn't like God. He is. And when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And when you can't understand the Old Testament, look at the new and look at Jesus because he is revealed what the Old Testament conceals. It's who he is. The, 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 the Apostle John is so amazing because the essence of the book of John is proving that Jesus is God. John 20, 31. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In fact, John didn't just end his gospel that way. He began his gospel that way. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a reason why that W is capitalized normally, because the Word isn't the Scriptures. In the beginning was not the Scriptures. In the beginning was Jesus. In fact, John sheds light on the book of Genesis. In verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In verse 3, All things were made through him. Know what that tells us that in the book of Genesis, that it was not just God looking down and the Spirit hovering above the chaos of the darkness, that the Son was also there as a part of creation. And Jesus, John says, is responsible for creation. And that's kind of tough to do if you're not God. It's hard to be a part of creation and to be involved in it if you're actually not God. We see uh, a few times, I was, I was looking around the Sea of Galilee, uh, where most of Jesus' ministry took place, that people were healed and they bowed and they worshipped at the feet of Jesus. Um, in fact, if you read through the scriptures, if an angel appeared, the angel wanted to stop the worship. Because the angel doesn't deserve the worship. But when it's God that appears... He accepts it and he says, this is right. Second Peter, excuse me, John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas began to worship Jesus when he sees Jesus and he feels the scars and he drops to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. Second Peter, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Acts 28, be careful to pay attention yourselves into all of the flock into which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church that God obtained with his own blood. That's the important statement because the Father didn't shed blood, the Son shed blood. It's pointing to Jesus. John chapter eight, verse 58, Jesus says this, before Abraham was, I am. Why is that important? Because if you rewind the tape, all the way back to the book of Exodus and God reveals himself and Moses says, who shall I say sent me? What is the name that, that God gives? Tell them, I am. Jesus was declaring that he was there before the existence of it all. People would surround Jesus wanting to destroy him and they would say, he would say, why do you want to kill me? And they would say, you are a man claiming to be God. Jesus will forgive people and people will respond, only God can forgive people of their sins. Ding, ding, ding. Get a clue, people. That's what he is. I mean, don't you want to just re like reach the scripture and shake someone's shoulders and say, don't you know what's in front of you? There are phrases spoken in connection to God in the Old Testament, but also spoken to Jesus. Isaiah 45, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Philippians 2, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Isaiah 41, Yahweh is the first and the last. Uh, Revelation 1.17, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What is said of the Father is also said of the Son. 
I want you to write something down in the litany of the information I'm giving you today. I know I'm going to be blowing your hair back uh, today. But there's something I really, truly want you to get about the Son. It's anything about God that you can't find in the person of Jesus Christ is not true. Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. Anything about God that you can't find in the person of Jesus, it's not true. Because when you've seen the Son, you have seen the Father. And you may not understand God of the Old Testament. There's a lot of digging. There's a lot of things and culture and stuff to understand. But some of us think that God was one way in the Old Testament. And right after the book of Malachi, before the New Testament started, God got saved. And he started liking humanity. And then Jesus appears. And it's a false understanding of God. Because the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, and it's not going to be on the screens, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What are we saying? We're saying that Jesus is God. Lastly, the third member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. The Father's God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And of the three, he is the most mysterious. But there are concrete scriptures that point to the fact the Holy Spirit is God. I love Francis Chan's book called Forgotten God. It's all on the Holy Spirit. I read it about seven or eight years ago. And it's a great read. But we just forget about the Holy Spirit sometimes, except for Pentecostals. Sometimes we put so much focus on the Holy Spirit, we forget about the Father and the Son. And we're actually called to recognize all three. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 through 4, we see Ananias and Sapphira are judged. Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you've lied not to men, but to who? God. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration in the original language means God breathed. And then 2 Peter 1.21 tells us that the Holy Spirit spoke to men's hearts. In other words, when God breathed, when you look, link those two scriptures together, it meant that God breathed, the Holy Spirit breathed, the Holy Spirit is God. So if it's God breathed and the Holy Spirit was at work and you, meet, and you really see them together, you realize it was God that breathed. The Holy Spirit breathed upon men as they begin to pen out the scriptures. Often we treat the Holy Spirit like Star Wars. I am not Obi-Wan. I'm not Luke. Well, kind of, uh, maybe. <laughs> I like Luke. Holy Spirit's not a force. It is not the, the light and the dark. It's not the good force and the bad force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. There's a personality, there's feelings, there's thoughts, there's emotions. The Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, can be lied to. He can be grieved. He can be blasphemed. He can be quenched. God is one. All three members are simultaneously, and they were equally God. They are not Captain Planet. Anybody in the house remember Captain Planet? All right, I used to eat my cereal, watch Scooby-Doo, then Captain Planet, then I would head to the bus stop. And Captain Planet, you remember the line? Because they had all different members of the Captain Planet, like little group, and they would say, with our powers combined, we are Captain Planet. It's not that God has to have all three together to become God. They are simultaneously, and they were equally God. They are not three parts of God. They are distinctly, equally, simultaneously. They each are 100% God. And all of what God is, his essence, and his nature are found in them at all times. 
They have the same divine attributes, the same power, the same glory. They're equally the Godhead. Neither one is inferior to the other. The Father is not more important than the Son, and the Spirit isn't less important than the Father. It's not like, all right, Father, I just pray right now that you would just tell the Holy Spirit to come here. (laughs) Father, can you talk to your Son for me? Because I prayed in his name. It sounds silly, but don't we almost approach the Trinity in this weird hierarchy, we're gonna talk about that next week. The, the hierarchy of the Trinity, the roles of the Trinity. And I hope you're getting something out of today and all of this litany of information. But we're trying to understand that there is one God existing eternally in three distinct persons, all three equally and simultaneously God. This is the reality of the Trinity. And so the question rises up for which I was told that there's no practical application to the Trinity itself. I've got something for you today. How do we respond to the Trinity? How do we respond in our everyday life? We say often at church that our messages are for Monday. You're like, okay, what do I do tomorrow with the Trinity? How do I, how do I be triune at work? Some of you try to act triune like you can multitask everything, but you can't. We can't do it all. But what do we do with this? Number one, I, w- I want you to write this down because I think this is important. I want to make sure I explain this well. I want you to reclaim a godly vision of the world. Stop dividing the secular and the sacred. Because God created the world. And the sacred spot is not inside these four walls. We have divided secular and sacred to do an us versus them mentality in the church. All my secular friends, listen, I know most of you, we don't all act sacred all the time. I know me well enough, I don't act sacred all the time. But yet we try to create distinctions as if one is more blessed than the other. I think we try to make an us versus them mentality. And I wonder if we can actually reclaim a godly vision for the world and instead of stop seeing people as secular that we have to do something about. I wonder if we could just say, God's already done something about them. So how can I walk in such a way that reclaims my vision and how I view the world, that I can view my workplace as more than the place that, well, I just have to go and give my blood, sweat, and tears, but I can go and recognize that's the place that Jesus shed his blood for. Those are the people that Jesus shed his blood for. Jesus died for all of them. Jesus forgave them. He's forgiven me. How can I redeem the way that I view people? How can I redeem the way I view my neighborhood? How can I redeem the way I look at money? How can I redeem the way that I look at my giftings and and the, the things that are at my disposal? We need to reclaim a godly vision for the world and stop walking around making distinctions as if we're gonna make ourselves sound more than what we really are. He is God and he's created it all. So how dare we walk in not a humble way, empowering our lives to say, if not for the grace of God, we would just be like everything else. Let's reclaim it. Let's reclaim this thing for the six people that agree with me. Let's reclaim it. What about secular music? Oh, my Lord. There's no such thing as secular, sacred music. There's crappy music and there's good music. Let's just say that. I've had people say, well, what about your tattoos? Well, God's not against tattoos. He's against bad tattoos. (laughs) Reclaiming a godly vision for the world. Instead of walking with categories, walk with eyes of grace. Walk with eyes of grace. Number two, two, see yourself as Imago Dei. The word Imago Dei simply means 
that you're the image of God. See yourself as a Mago Dei and live to reflect and to demonstrate the characteristics of the triune God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if he created humanity in his image, the triune's image, we have a responsibility to live in that image. Well, how do we supposed to know what the image looks like? Open the gospels this week and read about the life of Jesus. He would touch the people nobody else wanted to touch. He would embrace people that nobody else wanted to embrace. He would step across race lines and interact with people and listen before he spoke. He stood up against religiosity that wanted to demean and destroy people. He was the image of the invisible father. And ladies and gentlemen, the scripture calls us the body of Christ. And perhaps the reason why people haven't seen God in the world, it's not because God hasn't showed up, it's because the church has failed to stand up and to be the representation of Jesus in this world. We are supposed to be the image of the triune God. Which means that when we read about the Holy Spirit being the comforter, you know what you can do to represent the Trinity? Go comfort somebody. We read about the one, will be the, the Greek word is paraclete, the one who comes alongside. If you want to be like God, go come alongside of somebody that needs somebody just to stand with. When I think about the woman that was thrown at the feet of Jesus and everybody wanted to stone her and Jesus didn't stand above her. You know what Jesus did? He just sat down with her. Didn't say a word. I would have said a lot of words. But he just sat down with her. Who needs to be sat down with this week? Not so you could tell them your story per se, but maybe you need to hear their story. Hear their heart. Offer to be there for them. I was working on my third book this week. I'm writing about my journey through depression. I think one of the most powerful things that I can say to people is when you see someone hurting emotionally is you don't have to work up, or work up anything to say. Your presence will mean more than, more than anything else. And if the, the presence of the Lord has said from the beginning to the end of scripture that he will be with us always, maybe one of the best things that we could do is not step in a situation and say anything. It's just to be the presence of the Lord. So when people say, where is God in all of this? You get to say, he's right here. He's with us. You're not God, but you can represent him because Paul calls us his ambassadors to be the presence of the Imago Dei. See, God does not want to improve our image, but our lives. And the best way to improve our lives is to live in the image of him. God's not here to make your, your image better. Some of y'all do fine enough with social media on that. Throw a filter over, throw a filter over, and I'll post that. We're good at trying to work on our image. God doesn't give a care about your image. What he cares about his image is in you. And the best way to improve your image is to live in his image. So let's not be so busy constructing our image that we struggle to be transformed into his image. It's all about him. Lastly, so we reclaim a godly vision, see yourself as Imago Dei, but treat others as Imago Dei. Just because someone doesn't serve Jesus doesn't mean they were not created in the image of Jesus. I am so passionate about this. How dare we ever treat people in such a way because, well, they don't believe what I believe. I don't give a care. They were made in the image of God just as much as you. Or they're not perfected to where I want them to be. Wait, step back. What did you just say? Of course they're not perfected to where 
you want them to be. Guess what? I'm not perfected to where I want to be. We're all in the same boat, but we all, we need to see people in the that they were made in the image of God. Some of them just don't even realize it. And some of them have not had an adequate witness of a God who loves them because all they understand is a God that doesn't like them or a God that doesn't approve of them. And they may know you don't approve of them, but you know what they need to know? They don't need to know your approval. They need to know your love. They need to know your care. They need to know that you see them as an image bearer of God. They not, may not be living for God yet. They may not understand it whatsoever, but they do need to see it in you. They need to see it in you. For the commentators out, of there, out there, how do you not make the Trinity practical? We need to be three-ish. How this week can we be the Imago Dei, the image of the Father, the image of the Son, the image of the Spirit? How can the image of God be lived out in our lives? I'm not teaching some weird cultic thing that you guys are gonna become little gods, okay? That's, that's a different cult. But we are ambassadors. We are representations. We, the early church, they were originally called little Jesuses. Why? Because they looked, they acted, and they responded the way Jesus responded. Let that be said of our lives today. Bow your heads.